Hi, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Today, I'm talking to a woman I met through Instagram after scrolling through turning 40 hashtags. Tara Marsh made a post on her last day as a 39-year-old that resonated with me. She said, normally I celebrate my birthday to high heaven. I make an annoyingly big deal of it, claiming the entire month of December as my birthday month and insisting that my happy birthday decorations stay up through Christmas. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I claim the entire month of August as my birthday month, so I was already loving this woman. Her post was from 2020, so her birthday was more subdued thanks to the pandemic, but also because turning 40 was forcing her to reckon with some big questions. Biggest of all was the baby question. As a younger woman, she thought she would be married with two kids by the time she turned 30, but she turned 40 and neither of those things were true. She did feel happy most of the time, rich in friendship and surrounded by love. But, she wrote, And yet the question of having a child is ever-present, and whichever path I choose, I want to actively choose it, not have it happen to me because I ran out of time. But before we dive into that, let's start with the aquatic elephant in the room, and yet another reason I fell in love with Tara. Hi, Tara. Welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am very, very excited for this conversation. Yes, likewise. I am glad that you found me. <laughs> I did. I, that's exactly what I did. I found you on Instagram one evening when I was doing a search around hashtags um, about turning 40, turning 40 soon, things like that. And I found some posts that you made last year um, that just completely intrigued me. And so when we started the podcast, I said, I have to talk to this woman. But before we get into that, um, I need to, I, there's just, there's an elephant in the room that I need to talk about. And that is that you are legitimately a mermaid. <laughs> yes. Tell me about being a mermaid. Well, I could tell it to you the way that I tell it to the kids, which is that I am, of course, half mermaid, half human, which is why sometimes they see me with legs and sometimes they see me with the tail. And when I go into the water, I have the tail. And, you know, I, I guess one of my parents was a, a merfolk person. Um, <laughs> the uh, the grown-up version of the story is that I have been kind of obsessed with mermaids since I was quite young. And in fact, I think my birthday cake when I was three or four was an aerial cake. And a lot of this is to do with a fascination with myth and magic and um, the great epic battles of good versus evil and heroic acts and this type of thing. I, I loved it. And what I always struggled with was that the female characters were not anything I could aspire to. They were generally princesses that were valued because they were pretty and maybe kind of sweet, but they pretty much always needed rescuing. They, they didn't really seem to do anything very useful. And I found that The Little Mermaid Story was the first one that gave me a lead character that was a bit different because she saves the prince from drowning at the very beginning. And I know there are plenty of things that feminists can criticize The Little Mermaid for. You know, she's going after a man, but it's still something that she chooses. She's going after what she wants 
and running away from home to do it. And in the original story, spoiler alert, when she actually dies at the end, she makes this enormous sacrifice for love. I think that's beautiful. So anyway, sorry, that was a longer answer than you asked, but uh, that was where it started. (laughs) Wonderful. So, um, so you, so, and that was actually one of the more magnificent things that I see in your Instagram feed is that you, uh, love water and are always wearing a mermaid tail. Tell me how many mermaid tails you have. Five. (laughs) Oh, and can you actually swim in them? Yes, very much so. Yeah. It's like a, um, a monofin. So think about what people wear for scuba diving and then. This, the flippers, if they were attached together and you put your feet into one big plastic thing, it's one giant flipper. And the ones that I have are I mean, bigger than if you put two normal scuba flippers together and they have a, a sort of a fluidity to them. The, the sort of plastic that they're made from moves. So, um, so it looks actually beautiful, the movement in the water. But I can swim fast with this on. Wow. <laughs> That is spectacular. Um, Have you always been drawn to water? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I grew up a water baby. My dad was one of the parents that was of the mindset of um, throw them in and they'll figure it out. So I did figure it out. I used to swim competitively at school. One thing I don't do, and I wish I could say I did, is free diving. I don't have a good long breath hold. Mm -hmm. The mermaid community, and there is a mermaid community, is comprised largely actually of extraordinary athletes and free divers and ocean conservationists. So it's actually a pretty cool group of people. Wow. Uh, (laughs) And do you know them, meet them in person or is it just an online thing? You do. I have met them in person from online. So yeah, yeah, I've made friends with people online because of our shared passion for this. And then some of them I've actually been able to meet with. Won't surprise you that lots of them live in Florida and not so many live in New York. But um, right. but yes, which when is I where you're based. Florida, I'm in New York. Yeah. Yep. So I'm a I'm a land, not quite landlocked, but I'm a cold weather mermaid. <laughs> right. Right. And being even further north from you in New Hampshire, yeah, I know what is cold. Yeah, cold water mermaid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that is uh one of the most unique and interesting things I have heard in a very long time. So um, and visually just stunning here. So if anybody's listening, please go and check out Tara's Instagram because um, the photos are just beautiful. But let's talk a little bit about turning 40, mm. which you did about a year ago. And when you were uh, posting your thoughts about turning 40, you were feeling introspective. You were feeling, um, you know, you were addressing the milestone. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts and feelings. Yes. So I have had these types of moments of introspection at regular intervals in my life at those moments that we do typically think of as milestones. And there's not really uh, technically any reason why 40 should matter more than 39 or 38. But we do put meaning on these milestone moments. 30 was certainly one for me. People will do the things like 30 things to do before you turn 30, all of this type of stuff. So it wasn't a first for me, but maybe the nature of the introspection that I was starting to go through at 40 was a little bit different from what I'd gone through at 30. 
And a lot of it is about stepping back and taking stock of where is my life right now? Is it what I actually want it to be? Have I slipped into doing things just because that's what the world tells me to do? That's what everyone does. Is it actually what I want to be doing in work, in the friendships that I have in my life, uh, and in whether or not I want to have a family, have a baby? And that's where the 40 milestone specifically is a little different from 30 or 50 because, well, because that's just the biology of it, right? That's magnificent. I um, I did a lot of that same introspection around 40 almost accidentally. When I was doing my 40 drinks project, I started it as sort of something ridiculous and outlandish to celebrate my birthday and extend it for an entire year. And um, it sort of came around and kicked me in the butt. And uh, some things happened during the year where you, I was sort of shaking and thinking about, you know, shaking in my boots and thinking about some of the larger things in life. And, and like you were saying, the shoulds, am I doing things just because I should, or somebody told me, or that's what's expected. Um, so uh, I, I really relate to, uh, to your thought process. Um, how, uh, tell me a little bit about 30. What, what kinds of things were you thinking about at 30 that were different at 40? An interesting question. A lot of it was about financial independence, actually. Am I, was I setting myself up the right way to live my own life that didn't rely on help from my parents? I mean, you'd think you'd, you'd figure that out sooner than 30, that's for sure. And I think I had figured it out by 30, but it, I had also decided to myself by 30, I don't want a roommate anymore. So that was something that I was looking at. I felt like I wanted to have control of my space in a different way. So that was a little bit of a milestone I was working towards, which I did hit at 30. And the question as to where I actually wanted to live, which continues to be a big question for me, but I've lived in 10 different countries and more than that cities. So the question of where I want to live is, is kind of constant. And I have jumped around and jumped around and each time I'm putting down new routes and meeting new people and it's exhausting. And it's a lot of fun. And around the age of 30, I was starting to find the exhausting bit was tipping heavier than the fun bit. And I did want to start to, I guess, make some commitments to some things that I was doing, including where I lived. And so New York is where you've settled then? Yeah. So I settled here when I was, it was actually when I was 32. I've been here since I was 32, but I lived here for a year when I was 29. So yeah. I came back and decided this is where I wanted to be. And are you in the city or? I am. I'm in Manhattan in East Village. Wow. Okay. All right. So not only did you commit, you committed all the way. Yes. <laughs> you yes, just picked down. You picked, you picked the, the, the city that never sleeps. <laughs> yep. Yep. Although, of course, I am now reconsidering all of that as well. And that's more pandemic related than 40 related, I think. Right. Although right. the two probably conflate a little bit. Sure. So then flash forward to 40 and let's dig into some of the, the milestones, some of the reflections you're doing about 40. You talked about a biological one that was very different. Oh, yes, it is. And my goodness, I know I am not alone in, in facing this. Um, although sometimes it can feel a little bit lonely. I'm single and I've been single 
quite a long time. And that doesn't mean I haven't dated. I date quite actively, actually. And so, yes, have there been moments with different people? Yes. But I haven't had a really, really serious relationship for probably 10 years. My last serious relationship was with someone who I lived with for five years and he proposed. And that was actually probably part of that 30 milestone also because we didn't marry him. And and that means that they're having a child question, which I'm sure that people face when they're married also. But obviously, there's more weight to it because it's a doing it on your own if you're going to do it. And the prospect of single motherhood is daunting. And I would already be an older mother having a child at this age than I had imagined I would be. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I when I was 20, I just sort of assumed I would go down this path of marrying someone and white picket fence and two kids. And that's how it would all go. This is one of the nice things about turning 40 and realizing, oh, hold on, it doesn't have to be that way. There's all these different ways that people could live their lives. Uh, I think you feel a little bit more empowered maybe as you get older to make the choices for yourself. But uh, sorry, I'm probably I'm waffling a little bit. There were a lot of different things that were going through my mind on this. Yeah, I, I can relate so much to that. You know, I come from not one, but two enormous families. My dad is one of 10 and my mom is one of six. And wow. most of them, yeah, I, I've got more first cousins than almost anybody I know, minus a couple of Italian friends. <laughs> How many first cousins have you counted? Um, there's uh, 16 on one side and 14 on the other. Oh, wow. So yeah, there's a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so in my 20s, I always just assumed that I would get married and have kids because that's what I saw. That's what I knew. That's what, um, that's what I assumed. Um, and the same as you, that, that sort of like, you know, with someone and the white picket fence and the, and the picture that was sort of out of a picture book and not necessarily out of your own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my thirties, um, very much the same. I, I, you know, dated some men, some not nice men, some, you know, uh, anyway, and, and, sort of got to the point where, you know, that biological thing was, 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 I was facing it as well and thinking, you know, am I going to do this? Uh, You know, is this, and and I sort of came around to, if it was really that important to me, wouldn't I have done it already? Or wouldn't I have made, you know, made different choices, prioritized different things? Um, I was never brave enough you know, to, to think about doing it by myself. Um, and then I, I actually met my now husband the year I turned 40. So, um, I always talk about Patrick as he is my reward for never settling. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. But, but, and, and he's actually several years younger than me too. So, you know, it, 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 you know, he had, he had asked me when we first started dating or, or, Soon after we got serious, he said, you know, can you just leave the door open for me? And I I said, yep, I can leave the door open because I had pretty much decided by that point that I don't think this is for me. And he he asked me to leave the door open and I said I would. And then he didn't hustle. And, he, you know, we weren't moving forward that quickly. And and it was like, you know, by the, we got we didn't get married for five more years. So the door sort of just closed out of, you know, biology and, you know, different priorities. And so, so I can relate so much to what you're saying and and what you're going through. 
there's a few things you've just said, different things I'd love to pick up on. Uh, one, one, which is just actually a, a little bit of a, a joke, which I actually posted on Instagram recently uh, that I thought of when you mentioned that Patrick is younger than you. I am now at that sweet spot age, the delight of turning 40, where I can date you or your father. And <laughs> I did do that. <laughs> and I do say that like slightly tongue in cheek, but only slightly because yeah. I actually had a experience of this when I went on a few dates with someone who's 28 years old, which is a little, little younger than I would normally go. But let's say I normally have a plus or minus 10 years sure. boundary, 30 to 50 dating age range. And he was 28. And, uh, and his dad had him when he was quite young. His dad had him when he was 20. So his dad was 48. So mm. his dad was closer to my age than he was. And yeah. there was a moment when we were on a date and he was showing me some pictures of his family. And I was like, oh, I picked the right one. <laughs> and you kind of don't want to say, oh, your dad's hot. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you might be thinking it. <laughs> so anyway, that, I mean, that didn't last for so many other reasons. Nothing to do with his dad. But it, um, when you were saying about Patrick being younger, I do think that that's something that, inevitably ends up happening your age range widens as you get older there's just more grown when you're 20 years old of course you can't date plus or minus 10 but when you're 40 years old you can and that's actually right. quite interesting yeah the other thing that I wanted to talk about when you were saying about having a child and thinking that surely you would have done something about that sooner or at some point that also was much on my mind I actually really envy those women, and I don't know how many of them there are, that feel a very strong, compelling to do it, a calling to it. They know, they know it's what they want, right? And to have that clarity of mind of what you want, oh, I wished I had it. Because if I knew that that was what I wanted, okay, I would have just gone after it. But all right. of the deliberations were I don't know if this is what I want. And, and I actually think it's both a burden and a luxury, right? Like so many people, especially in previous generations, but you get married, say you're 25, you get married, and that's when you're just doing the, the thing that society tells you to do. You marry and you have your kids. And you don't actually really take a moment to step back and say, do I want it? And it's an amazing privilege that I am able to do that, but it is also so overwhelming. I just want someone to come and tell me what I should do because I don't know how to decide, or at least that's where I was a year ago. I am so with you. So <laughs> this for me sort of dovetails into a, an even larger conversation around, um, I have for many years been trying to figure out what is my purpose? What am I here to do? Mm. And, you know, I've got a, a great, you know, a great life and I, I've got a, I own a, a, a marketing business and I, I love doing it. I've created it, you know, to be just the thing that I want it to be. Um, you know, that I usually talk about, I call my baby. Um, you know, I, I, I we, you know, we own our own home. Like there's so many things, but, but even if I'm sort of throw myself back, you know, 10 years or, or, or less, it's, 
that is one of my questions is, you know, what's my purpose? What am I here for? And I, and I'm with you. I so envy people who are just so clear on it and whether it's having a baby or, you know, or Mm -hmm. any of the other things, you know, public service or service to a cause or, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's so much easier to make decisions when that is clear for you because the, the decision is always binary. Is it, does it get me closer or does it get me further away? And when you know, when that purpose is clear, you always can make your decisions with, you know, by choosing the answer that gets you closer. And when it's more sort of a vague or, a you know, something you're still looking for, it feels like you're always exploring and trying things and, you know, trying on, I mean, for me, there was trying on, you know, relationships and trying on jobs and trying on, you know, things that turned out, you know, most of them didn't fit. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. I think that people say that you stop caring about a lot of things when you reach your forties. And Mm -hmm. I actually think that's part of what we we just talked about some of the things that we stopped caring about are the things that weighed us down, the things that controlled us, the caring so much about what other people think and how other people are living their lives. But at the same time, you start caring or I started caring about other things more or maybe not caring more, paying more attention to them, making decisions more thoughtfully and mindfully about where I put my energy, which friendships did I invest in? And, and how I lived my life in a way that felt meaningful. That, that, I mean, that ultimate question, right? What's the point? What gives my life meaning? And, and is a baby going to do that? For, for so many people, it absolutely does. Can I do that and still do the other things? Like I, I used to have some, some political ambitions, certainly as a, I never did. I never actually went into it at all, but, um, but as a, child, I was absolutely intent that I would be president of the United States one day. Um, zero desire to go anywhere near that sphere. Right. But why did I have that ambition? It was because I was like, I can, I've got good ideas and I can help people and I want to help people. And if so much of my energy ends up being taken by being a single mother, which of course would require a huge amount of my attention it absolutely changes what I can give to other courses that I care about. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it changes the math. Yes. um, There's a finite amount of time in the day. That just is what it is. Yep. Yep. And energy. Forget even the time because a lot of times the energy runs out before the time does. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Wow. I, I, I mean, I wonder if I should get to the, there's the punchline of where I'm at now a few weeks off of 41 after all of these different deliberations, and by the way, I did make, I did take one action when I was 32 that it sounds like you didn't do. I froze my ex when I was 32 years old. And, and that was because I've always been someone that liked optionality. So I didn't do it because I was so sure I wanted to, I did it because I wanted to keep options open as long as I could, but I've had those there. They're still there. And I also had a friend, a gay friend who really wanted to have a child and he was very interested in doing this together. And that really sent me in the last couple of years down a path of exploration with him. And where I have got to is actually that I'm not going to do it 
with him, although he will no doubt be very involved and very close in my life on this. Hi, just a quick break to say, if this episode is making you think of a certain friend or family member, I would be grateful, and they might be too, if you'd share it with them. On Android phones, the share button looks like a less than sign with a circle at each point. And on iPhones, it's an arrow pointing out of a square. Just tap that icon and you can send this episode across the country or around the world. All right, are you ready to hear Tara's decision on the baby question? Let's get back to it. I am doing it. I'm doing it with an anonymous sperm donor. And what got me, what got me there, there were two things that, that got me to this decision. One was to stop spiraling out the next 20 years. That was causing me decision paralysis because the decision of should I have a baby on my own inevitably led me to where should I live? What happens in five years? What happens in 10 years? What happens in 20 years? What if this happens? What if this happens? The infinite scenarios and, and I would freeze and then, and then put it away, hide it somewhere, couldn't think about it anymore because I just didn't know how to answer those questions. And, and I finally realized, thanks for a little bit of therapy, that I, I couldn't answer those questions and who knew? Meant like 99 out of 100 of those things that I was thinking about weren't going to happen. So, well, and beyond that, you could play that same game without a baby in the, in the, in the, in the equation, right? It, we yes. can, per, we can paralyze ourselves by what yes. ifing out, you know, any, I had a boyfriend in my uh, early thirties who used to come to me and say, well, you know, what if we did this? Or what if I got a job here? Or what if we moved there? And I used to call them, I finally, you know, he would come and he would, he would drop that in my lap and I would, oh God, no. And then I'd start making plans for whatever that eventuality was. And it, it didn't come to pass. And then I finally started calling them what if bombs. It's like, mm. don't, you know, tell me when you've got something real to talk about. I'm not going to what if this out with you, you know? Um, so yeah, your decision, any major life decision can be paralyzed by going down that path because yeah. frankly, anything could happen anytime. Yes. And exactly. it would change all of our wonderful plans. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I eventually brought it back to simpler questions. Did I want to be pregnant? Did I want to have a baby? Not did I want to have a three-year-old or a 10-year-old? Like, like, let's just bring this a little bit closer in. And that's not right. to negate the need to have maybe some consideration for it, but that I needed to, I needed to narrow things a little bit. And, and the answer was yes to that. And that's the second piece of it. I realized that this was a part of the human experience that I wanted to have. And, and by the way, I'm saying that I'm not pregnant yet. I don't know if it will work. It might not happen for me. And so I have to hold on to this possibility at the same time as, as accepting that it might not happen, which is quite, it's quite a, that's quite a challenging place to be as well. Although I think I'm managing to straddle that balance. Okay. So far, and we'll see what happens, but I am excited about it. It sounds like you're in one of those, um, Chinese finger puzzles where like the harder you pull, the tighter it gets. And all you have to do is relax and just see 
what's going to happen. Cause you're right. It's it, it, you've made the decision to try. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it'll necessarily happen the way you think it will. I, I feel so. like we can guarantee it's not going to happen the way that I think it will. <laughs> yeah. I just thought of another thing that did relax me into it a bit. I was, I was dating someone during the pandemic. It was my, my pandemic lover, wonderful man and younger than me also. And he knew all about my, my thinking around this. And one of the questions that I would pose to him was, you know, how would you feel about dating me when I'm pregnant? How would you feel about dating me if I have a child? And he was just like, oh, it's cool, Tara. Like, I don't care. You'd be a great mom. And not everyone's going to say that. I know that. But it, it caught me in one of my other spirals, which was no one will ever date me again. And I've just realized how much that's not true. So it's so not yeah. true. It's, 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 and that's part of the evolution too, right? It's, it's going to be different men. Yes. It's, it's not going to be the party boys who want to no. go out drinking and clubbing and right. It's just, and they are fabulous, right? They are so much fun, but it sounds like you're sort of growing out of that. I mean, maybe you've already long grown out of that phase, but you grow out of that phase. And all of a sudden those, the things that are important to you, there are people around who see those things as important as well yeah. versus the people who are like, Oh God, I could never. Yes. Well, of course exactly. you could never. You're 27. Exactly. You know, yeah. you're 32 and you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I am you, under no yeah. illusion that it will be easy if it happens. That is for sure. And that is scary. Lack of sleep terrifies me. There are studies out there that make it quite clear that people that have children report lower levels of happiness than people that don't have children. And this is based on longitudinal research where people are asked, you know, at regular intervals, I don't know if it's monthly or weekly or what, but kind of just, how are you feeling? How, how happy are you? And it drops when they have kids. And it goes back up when the kids leave home. So I, I saw that and was like, well, that's interesting. The, and the other interesting thing is if you ask someone, they kind of deny it, not because they, not because they're trying, there's no like intent to deceive or anything, but you can't, it's, it's, you can't really accept that and still really be happy with your life. This is a choice. This is the life that you have. You, you, it is what it is. I think what that misses, however, the happiness question, is that life isn't just about how happy you are. Happy is, is too simple a concept. And this is where we come back to the question of meaning. And if they were being asked, how meaningful do you find your life? Well, I think that starts to become a different, a different conversation. So, I mean, I could just be naively convincing myself of this, but I did want to go into it with all eyes open. And I saw that and I was like, yeah, this makes sense. People are going to be sleep deprived and less in control of their destiny. And no, they can't sleep in. And yes, they have to ferry the kid to swimming or whatever it is and can't just do what they want on Sunday morning. So I could see how that reduces happiness at a very basic kind of hedonistic level, but, but other things change. Absolutely. You were talking about meaning, but you know, the meaningful, uh, uh sort of feeling. And I, I was thinking as well of fulfillment, 
Yes. You know, happiness is, is different than fulfillment. And you could be, you know, miserable because you haven't slept in three months, but so full to bursting at being fulfilled by yeah. what yeah. you've chosen. So, so you're right. It's very interesting that you say that happiness is too simple a concept to really encapsulate what, you know, what you're trying to do and the decision you're trying to make. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, well, this is big stuff. Do you have plans for how you're going to approach this? Do you, you, do you, have you sort of gotten that far? Yes. Yes, I have. Um, so I am really fortunate to have parents that are very supportive, at least supportive emotionally of this decision. The way in which they cannot be as supportive is that they don't live in the same country as me. They live in Hong Kong. So they are quite, they're quite far away. That is a reality that I will need to contend with. In that regard, I also know that I'm just going to need more help. Mm -hmm. The help that I might have to pay for. So there is absolutely a financial aspect mm -hmm. to this. Although I also know that my parents will do everything they can to be here, at least in key moments. That's not the same as having them down the road for right. like odd babysitting. And that's yeah, something that I envy of my sister-in-law who has that. But I know that they will be there to help somewhat anyway. And I have an amazing, very close-knit friend group that I think will also be part of part of the family in some ways. So some of it's that. Some of it is figuring out where do I live. I think probably still in New York, but not in the same apartment that I'm in now. I need a little bit more space. So I'm starting to think through that also. One of the bits that was actually the most interesting on this was choosing the donor. And that is like online dating on steroids. <laughs> I was going to say, did they give you a catalog? Pretty much. Wow. Pretty much. Yeah. And, and it was a bit of a team effort. I got down to a short list and had a spreadsheet of them and shared that with my brother and my parents and some of my closest friends, collected perspectives and input and had to manage it, especially with my parents to say, look, I might end up picking one that wasn't your top. Right. So just so you know, you've got to be okay with that. Uh, anyway, that was, I, that's not part of the, the planning for actually when it happens, but that's been part of the more recent journey. Wow. Have you given them like names and personas? They I would actually, make up stories. They, I do. Absolutely. They, they actually get them. <laughs> and at least one of the cryobanks, they have, they have personas of sorts. And the, the one that I have picked is called definitely a cat guy. <laughs> I love uh, him. Yes. That like, and that, that just that actually was already an appeal. I love cat guys. So I love cat guys with dog energy and that, which they often have actually. And often, often dog guys have cat energy. It's really interesting. I think you just described my husband. I've never thought of it that way. Which so, one is he? Uh, he, I think he's a cat guy, but he's still got dog energy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So we, um, I was never, so this is again, part of this, these like evolutions of who you thought you were. I always thought I was a dog person, mostly because my parents hated cats. And so we, I always grew up hearing like, I hate cats, I hate cats. Right. So I was, I think, uh, ooh, I don't know, my late mid thirties. 
And my brother, my brother was, had just gotten divorced and was living at home. He called me one night and he goes, oh, there's this cat here. I, you know, he got stuck in a tree and, you know, I pulled him out of the tree and, you know, fed him some tuna and, and now, now he won't go away. And like a couple of days later, I was like, is that cat still there? He was like, yeah. And I was like, I think I'm going to come take a look at it. And I went to the house and <clears throat> this cat, this tiny little black baby girl cat, um, just basically told me she was coming home with me. And so I she became, adopted you. she totally adopted me. <laughs> um, I became a cat person instantaneously. And so when my husband came along, he was like, you know, I don't really like cats. I'm like, it's okay. Neither do I, you know, but, but tuna's, you know, different. So, uh, she was just the sweetest little thing. She was, first of all, she was tiny. She was about six or seven pounds. Um, snuggly, demure, just delightful, kind of a little bit like a dog. Like we had our routines. She'd follow me around. We lost her last year, last summer. It was heartbreaking. Thank you. So, uh, you know, flash forward a couple of months, I think we lost her in like July or August. And, um, I decided that I had this four legged hole in my heart and I was gonna, and I needed to fill it. So last Halloween, we adopted a little black boy kitten. And, um, and now my husband is like over the moon about him. He's like, this is because Tuna was always mine. Right. And we had our relationship and our routines before he came along. Well, now he's been around since Quinn is his name since, you know, since the day we brought Quinn home. So he's like, this is my first pet. And he's, and he's just, he's like, I love this little cat. So just as a side note, I'm not sure what I did in a previous life to deserve Quinn because he is the opposite of tuna in every way. He is, first of all, he's a boy. He's got very boy energy. I never had a kitten before. Um, and he's, he's just a brute. Um, he's 13 pounds and terrorizes us in our house. So he is huge. He's unbelievable. So, uh, so I say to my, I, I, I came up with this recently. I said to Patrick, I said, you know, I had this four legged hole in my heart that needed filling. And I ended up with a four legged pain in my ass. (laughs) Wow. But Patrick is this, you know, big, um, you know, sweet, you know, just this wonderful man. And just the way you said that a cat guy with dog energy, like my, my jaw dropped. <laughs> you know, I, think I, was like, I read that on TikTok somewhere recently. Oh, okay. I think I saw so, someone say something like that. I, I can't claim that I made it up. I definitely read it somewhere at some point, And it also landed really well. I was like, yes, yeah, yes, I've yeah. seen that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm crediting you with it. So wherever you found <laughs> it, it's right. fine, but. Uh, okay. So definitely a cat guy. Yeah. 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 I like him. I like him. It was, it was the story in the end that, I mean, there were various boxes I was checking on some like quantitative specific stuff, but for the most part, it came down to what was my story around this person because I needed to feel good about it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is, um, that's amazing. You know, it's funny telling you about all of this. It does still, in case anyone thinks that I that, and envies me for what seems like clarity of decision, my stomach is turning occasionally as we're talking, just, just, just talking so, about it, just talking about it. Just because the more I talk about it, and that's partly why I do talk about it is, is to make it real. And, 
and the more I talk about it, the more real it is. But then sometimes I have sort of waves of, oh God, it's real. Yeah. We'll call that motion sickness, right? Yes. Waves of like, oh God. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Well, this is going to be, I think, your greatest adventure yet. Yes. And that is actually how I think about it. The greatest adventures are not smooth sailing. They're adventures because they're hard. Life is meaningful because it's hard. So, yes, I am ready for the next adventure. Oh. This is amazing, Tara. I um, am. I just feel so uh, honored that you came and shared your story with me. Um, I also uh, probably three or four times during our conversation had um, Will Ferrell pop up in my head um, from that. Uh, what was the movie? Step Brothers. And I just I looked at you and I was like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have to say you're in New Hampshire, but if you're ever in the city, I would love to have a drink. Okay. <laughs> We're going to make that happen. My uh, Patrick went to college at Fordham. Um, so we have, he has lots of college friends still in Manhattan and around Manhattan. So we, we, of course, the last couple of years, it's been tough to travel, but we do get down to, oh, I'm, I'm going to make this happen because yeah. um, I would love to, I would love to meet you IRL. And, yes. Um, and, I, I uh, would, I would as well. And who knows if I have a baby at that point. Um, although I'd hope it would happen before then, you can believe it's going to be dressed up in a little mermaid or merman, mer, mer, mer outfit. Mer has no necessarily, doesn't have, mer doesn't have a gender. So right. A mer right. something. <laughs> right. Um, that's amazing. Um, hold on one minute. I just have a question from Jeanette. I need a, some clarification on. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, let me think of how to answer this. I'm totally putting you on the spot, but when I come to New York and we have a drink together, what should our drink? Are there myrrh? Are there myrrh tails? Are there myrrh cocktails? Myrrh. That's how is there not a myrrh tail cocktail? Yeah, that's clearly a good coining. <laughs> if there are, honestly, I feel like they wouldn't be good. Any kind of blue colored cocktail is just going to be too sweet. Right. But so unfortunately, I don't know that I've got a good theme there. One thing okay. I could suggest is you must have had this so many times, but champagne and the reason for champagne is that my family has a bit of a tradition of sabrage, which is where you saber a bottle of champagne with a sword. I have my own saber. I have probably sabered. 100, 200 bottles of champagne in my life. And it's just a good show. So <laughs> we could do that. I accept. Excellent. <laughs> that sounds fabulous. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, uh, let me just say, for anybody who's looking to catch up with you, you're on Instagram as Stara Tales. And that's S-T-A-R-R-A, so two R's, tales, T-A-L-E-S, like fairy tales, not like mermaid tales. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. I would have assumed it was mermaid tales. Okay. No, so it was actually tales. about what are the tales that I want to tell? What are the adventures? What are all the stories? And the mermaid is one of them, but there's so many tales in our lives. Wonderful. Bravo. 
Brava. I, I've so enjoyed this conversation. Me too. And Thank you. I look forward to catching up with you uh, in New York sometime soon. Wonderful. Have a lovely weekend. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Do you know someone who's got a great 40 story? Someone who experienced a transition in their life, family, or profession? Or someone who celebrated turning 40 in an epic, interesting, silly, profound, or personal way? Go to 40drinks.com guest to recommend someone who should join me on the podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you next week.